You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to a supplemental episode here on the 602. I'm excited to have everybody here. We've got a very full panel to talk about something really fun, and it it is something else about Star Wars. Uh, There's just so much coming out these days, and and with the books uh, especially being canon and some kind of big things happening in some of these books, it's definitely something we want to talk about. Uh, And I, I think tonight we have something pretty cool to be able to dive into. So I'm really excited to get there. Uh, Before we do that, I I just want to remind everyone, of course, that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. And if you haven't checked out any of our other shows, I really encourage you to do so. Just go to iTunes.com slash Trek FM and you can find all of our shows. You can also find all the shows on trek.fm our website we've got our show pages there for everything we do you can find all the links we're on twitter at trek fm facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm and then of course we've got the listeners only discussion group where my entire panel spends a lot of their day talking about things that we post there Um, so join us in any of those places we'd love to have you Uh, and of course if you have any feedback on the show please send that in at trek.fm slash contact. Just choose the 602 Club. We'll get the message, and we'll be able to talk about it maybe on air. So one more thing before we dive right into our subject tonight, where our supplemental, we are still running the iTunes review contest, and we still have about another week for that. And everybody get in your reviews and star ratings. Uh, put those two together because it's only with the written review we'd be able to pick a winner We've got some really great things for you if you do win. $50 gift card to Amazon, a USS Vengeance from Eagle Moss, and Norm and I are going to be doing a special supplemental episode with the winner to talk about whatever they want to talk about geek-wise. So uh, some really big prizes there for you guys, and I'm really excited because the idea of getting to have one of the listeners actually just join us in the 602, I'm I'm beyond excited for that. So, I want to introduce my panel. Some amazing, some amazing guys, uh, and I'm always lucky to have them. Bruce, uh, and of course, we're you know we're talking Star Wars, so that means that you are probably going to have to be here. How's it going, man? It's going well. I was at a Kansas Royals game last night, and they won, and uh, I had plenty to drink, and I'm still feeling it 24 hours later. And Rookie. Awesome. So that means you had a good day at work. I had a great day at work. And so Ruby's <laughs> going to contribute even more tonight. Awesome. Mike, great to have you back in the 602 Club. How's it going? It's going pretty terrible because I'm a White Sox fan and the Royals are about to win the division and the White Sox are on the verge of elimination. But thanks, Bruce, oh. for bringing that up. No problem. That's what we do on sports podcasts. All right. <laughs> Did you want to give them a nice paper coil and pour some lemon juice in it? Oh, geez. Uh, John, of course, it's in the bylaws uh, for the 602 Club. If we're going to talk Star Wars, that you do have to be in the the bar. You don't necessarily have to be on the show. You at least have to be in the bar. Oh, but it's great to have you on the show tonight. You'd be surprised how often I'm in the bar when the show isn't broadcasting, Matt. You really would. And uh, I just want to say for all you people complaining about uh, the sports <laughs> stuff, I'm in the D.C. market. 
Okay, oh. that's it. That's all I have to say. I'm, I'm, stop it. I have the, stop right, it. Right there on stop the TV, it. your team is losing. Yes. Whoa. Hey. Wow. Shock. Hey, hey, Ruby, can you turn that off? We got something to talk about over here. Okay, yeah. thanks. All right, all right. thank she's, you. Yeah. She's turning. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about Lost Stars. It's a part of the Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens series, and it is a young adult novel. But unlike the other young adult novels that John and I talked about that were pretty slim, but unlike those, this is a is a nice tome. It's it's a hefty tome here, and, and I gotta say, I was really excited that we were going to get a, an opportunity to spend more time in this universe. I had no idea when I got into the book just exactly how much time we were going to spend in the Star Wars universe. In fact, we're going to go from the Rebels time period all the way past Return of the Jedi. So this book really does take the entire original trilogy of Star Wars and give us a completely new perspective. In fact, this book takes place from the perspective of the Imperials and uh, the Empire and what they think, how they feel about things, what it's like to live in the Empire and be a part of the Empire, why people want that. So I wanted to ask you guys just what your uh, general Imperial impressions were uh, about the book. I'll go first. All right, Fine. go for it. Yeah, I, I, I'll be I'll be uh, short and to the point. It was uh, really great. I really enjoyed this. I did not expect this book to be as good as it was. I picked it up because I read those other three books that we discussed previously, and I said, "Ah, eh, what the heck? I'll pick this one up. Maybe this." And I was completely floored by this because of how much I enjoyed it and how much I connected with the characters. Wonderful book. And actually illustrates the time period, uh, like you said, Matt, really completely uh, and gives a full sense of what it was like to be a quote unquote regular person during a time that we've seen from the perspective of the heroes. Yeah, I thought the book was it was better than I thought when I was going into Journey to the Force Awakens. I was thinking I'll read Aftermath and maybe I'll get to the young adult novels sometime later, depending if I have time. And then Matthew convinced me to read Lost Stars. And here I am, and I am so glad I read it because I liked it better than Aftermath. I loved how the story just progresses through different time periods and focuses on characters and building their relationships in this universe. That I really liked. Yeah, I was pretty much in the same boat as you guys. I had fully intended to just read Aftermath. You know, I figured I needed to draw a line somewhere and drawing it at, like, young adult. This father, no father! Exactly. I'm like, young adult books, that's where I draw the line, you know? And I went into uh, Target, and I saw Lost Stars, and I'm like, what the hell is this? This thing is, like, massive. What is this? I thought this was for kids. And then Drew explained to me what young adult meant, and I'm like, fine, I'll read this thing, fine. And I read it, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, clearly the best of the new canon novels so far, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad that I did as well. And, and it's also kind of annoying, because now I have to read all those other books, the little kid books, and <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I'll do it. Surprisingly enjoyable. It, yeah. I, I, I think that was the thing that was so nice and refreshing. 
was to pick up this book and you know I obviously read the the, the flap and kind of ex- know a little bit to what I, I might get out of the story and then as I was reading it was just you're being immersed in the world of and, and in fact just starting right as the empire is really taking over and it's annexing a planet so you're seeing exactly what that was like as it begins to move across the galaxy and become the powerhouse that we know it will be by the time the rebellion is in full swing and i mean answered the question uh you know that was made so famous by clerks but what about the guy just working with the plumbing in the death star is it really his fault i mean does he deserve to die and this is a book that answers that question about those people as well as the people who put their heart and soul into the empire because they actually believe in it. They think that it's going to be a good thing, that it's going to change the corruption of the the you know the republic that all the things that had happened they they buy into the propaganda of the empire and it does such a fabulous job of doing all this, and and geez, reading this book, I mean, I, I'm thinking this is important stuff. I mean, we're talking about the death of of a republic and the turning into an empire, and and how that happens, the important the importance of the prequels. I mean, this is a great book for kids to be reading. I mean, I I, I can't wait. You know, maybe one day to talk about this with my kids because there's some really important themes in this book I, and I didn't expect that coming from a young adult novel that's kind of seems to be aimed at the twilight generation you know I'm, I'm not expecting that but I think Claudia Gray the author here just like I mean she nails it this is a this is a home run this is a touchdown this is a hole in one you know I, I think that uh, in terms of portraying uh, you know like the the turning into the empire and everything I think that one of the stronger aspects of pers- the way that she pursues that theme in the book is illustrating how easy it is to forgive uh, the offenses of a government because you say, well, you know, there are going to be little problems here and there, but it's not really everybody that's bad. I mean, in a sense, you can get an idea of how somebody could put a bubble around themselves because there's no question the Death Star was terrible and everybody on it you know, like you're, you're it, it throws the question at you because you get the perspective of the people in the empire. Oh, well, you know, the, the rebels, they, mur- you know, yeah, Alderaan died, but, you know, th- there was a justification for that. It was going to stop the war from happening and all of the people that were on the Death Star. But I mean, the, the honest answer is, you know, when you look at it, well, they knew full, like, there's no way anybody was on that Death Star. You would have to be fooling yourself so severely. I think that she really uh, broke down the worthwhile uh, topic of how much are you willing to forgive what your government does because you perceive that the ultimate goal is good, you know, order from chaos and, you know, getting rid of, quote unquote, corruption. How much are you willing to forgive before you finally realize that it's, you know, there is no excuse for, you know, necessary evil is still evil. There's that, but I think it goes deeper than that to like sort of this personal level, which, you know, I mean, you see happen all the time. You know, it happens in politics, religion, 
happens in Star Wars, where someone is so loyal to a thing that they mm. can no longer see what that thing has become, you know? Yeah. And, and, they, and they're, they're no longer thinking for themselves or doing or, 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 or participating in this thing because they love what it's doing, but it's because that instead they're justifying what that thing is doing so that they can still live with being a part of it. And, you know, um, I mean, you get that with, with uh, you know, the, the main character, Sienna. Uh, Cy- That's her name, right? Sienna. Sienna. Uh, okay. And, and she, you know, she's like, I took an oath. I can't back out of my oath. I took an oath. And it's like, yeah, but you took an oath for something that you thought was something else, you know? And, and she just can't, like, let go of that. And, and I think that that's kind of interesting, you know? And, I mean... It, it's, it, it really sort of applies to a lot of stuff in, I think, everyone's lives. Everyone does that, mm. you know? Well, going so. into this, I, I agree. It was all about the loyalty. When they're entering into the Empire, I thought it was interesting. Their point of view of it was if they were entering Starfleet Academy in Star Trek, as if it's this great utopian institution, organization that's going to bring pre- peace and goodwill to all the worlds and even their home planet thought things were going to be better because now the empire's here. And they were going in as like Starfleet officers and they're studying opera and literature and all these different things. And their view of the empire is so skewed. And then with that loyalty on top of it, it's almost like if they do something bad, you can't believe it. It's going to take tons of, of, of different events like this to happen for it to really hit their heads, hit hit them over the heads with it. But as we'll talk later, I'm sure one character sees it earlier. The other one with her loyalty stays with it. Well, and I think that I think this is a perfect time to kind of dive into that whole idea of this Imperial point of view, because I, I think this book puts us in an empire state of mind, what it's like to be a part of the empire and to buy into it because all we've ever seen before is is the opposition to the empire and we knew that it was bad but this is kind of like being on the other side of the communist revolution in in russia and and seeing it as a good thing that's exactly what this is like and i think that's exactly what she's really referencing because i can i can remember this stuff um late obviously and in the the 80s you know with with the way that it felt you know the the empire reminds me of east germany and right the drabness that it becomes and like but it starts off as being this thing that looks like it's a glorious savior like the empire is going to come they're going to they're going to turn us into a socialist utopia and it's going to be awesome like they're going to fix all our problems and the 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 we will have safe secure prosperity as the emperor says but but to extend your uh you know to to extend your analogy you can also see because the people that lived under uh you know czarist uh russia like when when that revolution when the first revolution came uh and in russia at the time you know it was needed like that that 
system of government had fallen down. The Republic was broken in Star Wars. It was, and you can see the cynicism baked into the populace of, yeah, the Republic said they had all of these great ideals, but they didn't, they didn't actually execute them. And, you know, the, the Jedi didn't really stand for anything terrific, or if they did, they didn't really carry through. And we've talked about that numerous times uh, as well. But it shows how easy it is for like a Stalin type of figure to come in or somebody to come in. You know, there has to exist a situation where people are desperate for the system to change in order for the bad person to come in. And I think that this book also does a good job of showing how the populace itself. I mean, one of the main characters, Thane, is raised with this cynicism about any government at all. And it, it pursues through the whole book of when he does finally turn against the empire, it's like, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm fighting against the empire. I'm not fighting for this other system because they're probably just as crummy as this one is. I don't really believe in it, but I think that this one is even worse. So it can show how that mindset is so toxic to begin with. Well, and what's really interesting, too, you know, these these two characters, Sienna and Thane, they end up at the Imperial Academy, and, you know, Thane is, is always the, like you said, the cynic, and part of that is because of the family he grew up in and the, and the structure. His, his dad was a terrible person and beat him, and, you know, it was just a bad place, so he always looks at authority, and he takes authority with a great assault. He, he doesn't really expect that they're going to live up to what they say. and But it was really interesting because once they get to this Imperial Academy and they think it's going to be wonderful and it turns out to be this place that is, it's hard. I mean, they are, they are crushing down these people so they can build them back up into their image, you know, what they want them to be. And pitting them against each other. It was like Imperial Hunger Games um, with the way that they, especially the way they deal with Sienna and Thane and pit them against each other. And it was just, it, it was so interesting to watch because all the clues are there for the characters to pick up on really early. But it take, it's interesting to watch them that it takes so long. And we as the audience know what's going on. But they're really doing a good job of making them not feel stupid for not getting it. And I think that was huge because that's a really hard thing to do when we already aren't on the side of the Empire. Well, and they're kids, too. So they're not going to pick up on those things probably right away. The older they get, the more they start to perceive the world and for what it really what it is. And it just takes them time to get there. But... You know, I think with Thane, his relationship with his parents, he was able to see that quicker than uh, Sienna because of the situations he grew up in of being abused and being ignored. And so he's always looking for faults. He's always looking for there's got to be something wrong. This can't be right. Where Sienna looks at everything is, well, you know, whether it's right or wrong, if I make a commitment to it, if I'm and I'm loyal to it, I have to stick with it. If I've gave my pledge to to it, wh- whether it's right or wrong, I have to stick with it. And unfortunately, that's what she did. There's a really interesting thing that I saw happen here. And, you know, the, the famous thing from Star Trek is Spock's line, 
the Vulcan axiom, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And what I really liked here is that Claudia Gray takes that and gives it that evil twist. Like the way that that logic can be just totally destroyed and into something really evil, which is exactly what Sienna does when the Death Star destroys Alderaan. She takes that logic and says, oh, but, but, it, okay, so we killed some, um, some millions so that billions can be saved, so that we can stop a war. And I, I just, I love that because I th- I, that's a, a big thing in Star Trek that Spock kind of moves beyond just pure logic to wisdom. And it's interesting to watch that happen to the characters in this book. If they move from kind of the logic of things and trying to rationalize stuff to get to a place where they have the wisdom to be able to say, this, this just isn't the way things are supposed to be. Um, and either that, or they're like Nash Windrider, who is an Alderanian pilot. He's from Alderaan. They destroyed his own planet, and he cuts himself off and and just continues to serve the Empire as if because that's the only way that he can make sense of of the world, the the universe. So this book is so nuanced. I I think um, I just was not expecting that at all. Yeah, I, I do want to give a, a brief shout out that uh, the idea of an Alderanian remaining loyal to the Empire was actually in one of the uh, Marvel comics uh, from the original run back in the 80s when Leia cro- ran across a stormtrooper who was from Alderaan. And he, he had a similar sort of mindset as uh, Nash Windrider. So I was actually really glad that this book, I don't know whether Claudia Gray uh, read the comics back then and brought it back for that reason or not, but I, I thought it was a nice echo of a really great storyline that that resonated even even back then because Nash Windrider is easily the most. I mean, for me, I don't know how you guys feel, but for me, he's easily hands down the most fascinating side character in the entire book. Like I was, I I was so uh, fixated on keeping up with him that I just really really enjoyed where that arc went and sort of the exploration of the, you know, the psychology behind him. I thought it was really, really neat. Well, and he really is that person. I think that you truly, and, and along with Sienna get to see that the, how people slide down the slippery slope by they, they rationalize that one thing that they know is wrong, but they do it anyway. And how you just continue to chip away at your conscience until you end up like Ray, Sienna Ray, saying, I was so dedicated to honor that I became a war criminal. This book does an amazing job of showing how somebody that may have been good can, could be a Nazi war criminal or, you know, any of those things. Like, this is how it happened because we, we allow ourselves to get caught into something without giving it true thought really thinking it through or we just readily accept something without you know vetting it seeing seeing where it goes what it really believes in what it really is about so uh, yeah this is who some good stuff yeah i mean I, I think everybody would agree right i mean that's it the what's explored in here is you know i i mean i think it's you know sort of inevitable i mean like comparing this to say aftermath 
like that this was i you know sure people are going to say young adult and everything but i i don't know if you guys agree I mean, th- this was a much deeper experience uh just in terms of what it explored yeah it definitely was for sure I think that's true, and I think that you know part of it is because of of what we're talking about here. But I mean, I think there's other two, two other elements which uh, are very important to this book's success, I guess. And one is, I mean, what the 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 story really is about, I guess. You know, beyond sort of like the subtext, which is you know the the textual you know aspects of the story, which is you know this is a a love story, you know, and, and between these two characters, and I think that it's really well done. I mean, it reminded me a lot of like the Before Sunrise series, you know, which I think are, I mean, those are some of the best movies ever made, right? Yeah, yo, <laughs> I, yeah, and I've, I've had them recommended to me many times. Oh, stop recording, and what we got this, we can we can take care of this. <laughs> Go watch it right now because it's amazing. Um, I hear and obey. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, and that's that's really sort of like what I saw going on here. And, and I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of like a, a sucker for that sort of stuff. But um, I think it's it's really effective and sort of like heartbreaking and sort of gets down to, you know, sort of like what we're, we're talking about, like putting a, a face on these literally faceless characters from the original trilogy and saying like, well, what was their story? Like... We've seen that guy die a million times, and we cheered it, and it was awesome. And you don't actually see him die. It's just a ship that blows up, and it's a very abstract thing. But here, let's say there was a guy in there, you know, and and here, we're going to get to know him, and then we're going to kill him, and then you're going to feel really (laughs) bad about it. And I think that that's really cool, you know, and sort of like taking it down to like basically just two people and saying like, here's the story of what's going on behind the scenes of these movies that you love. I thought that was pretty awesome. It's kind of like the Star Wars versions version of Lower Decks. But then it's also, and here's the other part of it, it's kind of the Star Wars version of Forrest Gump, which is in in the sense that it's like these characters, and I have very mixed feelings about this, okay? Because logically, it's the dumbest thing ever. But emotionally, <laughs> it totally works, right? These characters... <laughs> are literally involved in every single moment that you see in the original trilogy. And it's like, okay, fine, they're there. But does, like, Jude need to be the one who figures out the the problem with the <laughs> exhaust port? And does, you know, I mean, they do that all the freaking time, you know? Yeah. Up until the freaking trailer for the freaking new movie where everyone's like, oh, my God, look at that. There's a crashed Star Destroyer. How did that get there? Oh, well, it was this person. It was the same person, you know, like the person who, like, decoded that thing for that other movie. It was that person. They did it. Yeah, I know. It's weird, right? I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, it really does sort of put a face on it. And it makes you relate to these stories in a way that I think a lot of these expanded universe stories don't in that even though it's about characters who we've never met before, it's putting you, it's getting you involved in sort of these events. And it's using that device as sort of like a way to, it's like a form of shorthand. So it doesn't need to sort of set up all of this stuff, which really is unnecessary. Um, 
to to the story that they're telling but you know it it, it sets up the background it sets up you know uh, all the other characters who you're seeing running around and everything like that and and really sort of the the whole situation and i think that that's it's really effective i mean i was right that's one of the things which sucked me in is i i was uh, very excited to see how it tied into everything and how it it mirrored what was going on in the original trilogy and all that stuff well and it's really cool because in some ways they kind of give you characters that sort of mirror what you saw in the original trilogy with their trinity of characters and their little band, you know, and you get to follow this but from the other point of view. And so it it again you're like you're saying it just feels familiar. So you're very comfortable, but you're watching everything play out from the other side. And when they're involved in all the big things, and you're like, well, it makes sense because, you know, they're the characters that we're following. That's how we're telling the story in the same way Star Wars is told through the eyes, you know, in the original trilogy of Luke Han and Leia and Chewie. You know, that's how we, we tell that story. Um, this story is just told through Sienna Ray and Thane Carell and... Uh, Nash Windrider and Jude and and all these people. So I really, I really, really liked that. And I thought it was an effective way, like, that it's just, it makes it feel like Imperial Star Wars, you know? Like, this is the Empire side, you know? Whereas the the other movies are the Rebel Star Wars. And it's a kind of a nice, it just... It's a nice mirroring effect, which George Lucas does a lot. And so, again, it feels like... I'm back in the universe to which I'm so accustomed to being in. And there's no disconnect like there was for me with, say, Aftermath. You keep on saying, like, this is like the Imperial side of Star Wars, and I totally see that, and I think that that's how it starts. But I think for for the bulk of the book, it's it's not. I mean, I think kind of like the the thing which makes it unique is it is sort of like a Civil War kind of scenario where you have, you know brother against brother or in this case brother against sister or lover against lover and you're seeing the same story told from both perspectives you know and i think that's that's kind of one of the things which makes it unique i I don't really see this as being an imperial story so much as a imperial and rebel story like side by side you know it's a mirror in itself it's not a mirror to the to the trilogy at least yeah i I, I I agree with that, um, but I but I think where where it gets the hook with the with the imperial side of things is, I think that the biggest part. I mean, like it's easy to hook on to something and say like, oh, that's where this crashed star destroyer came from. Oh, that's how this happened. Oh, that's how this led to that. I think that the biggest, and this gets back to the whole idea about talking about how you can be party to atrocity without processing what it is you've just been a party to. We all know at this point, because Abrams has spilled it, that you know we're going to be seeing basically the First Order, the remnant of an empire, still fiercely loyal to the tenets that it, it stood up for. Uh, I'm not spoiling anything for anybody. Abrams has said this in an interview. And I think that this book is, is most useful in creating those, like setting the stage for those characters to come... like. It's giving us the sort of sideway, backdoor backstory to all of the bad guys we're about to see in the new movie. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And 
I wanted to touch on something that you said, Mike, was the idea that this is that kind of Romeo and Juliet love story between these two, you know, especially with, like you said, where it does end up, where it becomes imperial against rebel in the end, you know, and that last, you know, third of the book that really takes off. Um, but more than that, I was like, this is like the last of the Mohicans here. You know, he even says, wherever you are, wherever you go, where wherever we end up, I will find you. And I was like, okay, Daniel Day-Lewis, is this the last of the Jalukans then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's the. I mean it's it's a it's a it's a plot device, but at the same time, you know, I mean, I did. I can't say that I wasn't bothered by, you know, the idea of like, oh my god, and he's right there, and I'm right here, and we were connecting again, and it's you know our paths are crossing once again, and it's like obviously that's necessary, and I'm willing to forgive it because it's a thing, but it, it is kind of. <laughs> It is kind of hey, ridiculous. the force works in mysterious ways. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, you the know, force I mean, works Thane in convenient goes, ways. Okay. Oh, of course it does. But I mean, they, it's you know, the that's, force. That, yeah. But that's even one. Of, that's even one of the journeys. Is Thane's journey is similar in a sense to Han Solo's, where he's the cynic. There is no greater power, sort of thing. And then at the end, he's like, "Must be. We kept running across each other." Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm sorry. That's just lazy. Okay? No, it's, it's the just force. <laughs> the force brings them together. Yeah, I know it's an the energy. No, okay, Mike. Mike, together. just so you know, the force is an energy field created by all living and things. And so they're totally and connected. It binds to it. us and surrounds yeah, I us know, I know. and yeah. brings us all together. Uh, it's like kumbaya. Um, it's ridiculous. Okay, I'm willing to forgive. Well, okay, it. I, and I have to say, Mike, I know that you have wanted a story that didn't have any damn Jedi in it. And there's no Jedi. There's there's barely there's very few talk of the there's there's very little talk of the Force here. Yeah. So I figured this book would be right up your alley because it's exactly what you've been asking for for. And a you're while. a young yeah, no, adult no. too. Yeah, I'm a young yes. adult. <laughs> I mean, we talked about last week on <laughs> really uh, Trek Stars how I'm a big fan of young adult fiction or whatever in yeah, some that, ways <laughs> or another. Dawson's Creek, you know, um, that's forever. True. But. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's totally true. I, I mean, I guess this, this, what, what I, what I was saying when I said that, you know, or what, what I meant when, when I said that was, you know, I want to see different sides to this universe that go like really outside of the box, you know, and, and I, I understand that we are getting a different side of this universe, like literally like the other side in this story, but at the same time, it's, intrinsically connected to everything that we've seen before. What, what, what I meant by saying, like, I don't want to see any damn Jedi in, in a Star Wars movie or whatever is, I meant, like, I want to see something, I want to see the the Star Wars equivalent of Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? I mean, the go-to idea, which I think is perfect, mm -hmm. is, you know, a a, uh, a a mockumentary with with Max Rebo and his band going off on adventures. <laughs> I want something which is super yeah, I, crazy outside the box. I don't want to see that. I'm I sorry. want so to, long, see that. to see so, that. So long as it's Wars not figuring Dan and the modal nodes, because they are never going to get less than a rated R if they <laughs> stick with the name of the music that they play. Yeah, that's a terrible thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's, That's what I'm saying. Though. Let's talk yeah. about the these characters because they really are the heart and soul of this book. It is Sienna Ray and Thane Carell, in which, interestingly enough, I don't know if anybody caught, caught into this, but um, Thane 
is actually the exact same age as Ezra from Rebels. He is born on Empire Day. Um, and so that was a, a nice and interesting touch to see that. Um, but unlike Ezra, he follows the path of the Empire for at least a good two-thirds of this book. What did you think about these characters and then uh, some of the side characters that you really, really liked, as we already talked about with, with Nash? Does it work for you, what she's doing, especially as we have all kind of mentioned, this is very much a love story? Does does everything come together for you and, 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 and work in a way that... And we were all dudes here. We didn't. We don't have any ladies on the show to tell us whether they thought the romance worked so we're it'll be interesting to see where we all come at this i love the romance it's just so romantic no uh <laughs> wow you sounded like anakin there in uh anakin's my Attack of the clones. <laughs> so i what came to mind for me is uh and i i don't want to keep comparing this book to aftermath but i'm gonna end up doing that when when I do improv, we're told that the best scenes, the best stories are those when the, we already know the, – the characters already know each other. They already have an existing relationship. In this book, I like that these two main characters, after really the first chapter, you jump ahead with them. We're now in the middle of an established relationship with them. They have a history together. That's what made them and – their relationship more interesting and then it was built upon in aftermath it was characters meeting characters meeting characters and really by the time we got to the end of the novel with that group of characters they had just formed a partnership they just became a group so we never got to really get to know them as a cohesive group with a relationship so I would say more so than the characters themselves in this book that I really liked, it was more of the relationship between the, the main characters and, and their friends. And it was interesting, too, with Nash. And John said earlier he's a side character. I thought it was interesting how the book ended, the last scene, was about Nash and what his future might hold with the Empire, that he's going to have a much bigger role in that setting in the Empire. Yeah, I, for for me, the most interesting thing about either of the main characters, I mean, I, I love both of them, Sienna and Thane, but for Thane, uh, the, what I thought was really cool was it's always been difficult to resolve mentally why Luke wanted to go to the Imperial Academy so bad. And I think that Thane's journey, now granted, Luke so far as we know, didn't suffer any sort of like, a, you know, abusive relationship with Uncle Owen or anything like that. But Luke just desperately wanted to get away from his existence. And I think that Thane, by coming from that same background, makes Luke's desire to go to the Imperial Academy in the first place way more understandable. You're like, oh, I, okay. Yeah, you're, Luke's not even thinking about, I'm going to go serve the Empire. He even says later in the movie, I, I don't love the Empire, I hate it. But the Imperial Academy is a ticket out of this horrible life that he doesn't like anymore. As for Sienna, I thought that she was just a really well-rounded, intelligent character and very uh, sympathetic. And I thought that she was uh, refreshing in the sense that I think she really she really answers the call that that people have put out there to have 
uh, more assertive and um, believable female characters in the Star Wars universe. I think that she really it, it answers that call. She it, like I loved following the character through the book, and uh, so yeah, I mean that you know those main characters they really did power everything. You know enough to get misty when they had their their more troubled times and stuff like that. Really, really got me in the ticker. Yeah, I thought that both of the characters were were really good as well, and I, and I think that they played off of each other, you know, really well. You know, I, I mean, it's it, it really is sort of about their relationship, and I think uh, they did a really good job of um, setting it up and paying it off. You know, I, I I do like the the sort of format the the I mean, you're talking about sort of like the before sunrise of it all, and you know, I I really do kind of love that. You know, because you get to know them so well when they're at the academy, and then when they split, and then actually switch sides and everything, it's like yeah, you know, they they really are sort of like uh, uh, these two people who can can never be together you know and yet they 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 love each other and it's just like it's heartbreaking and because of that i think the romance works really well and i think one of the reasons why it works really well in addition to that is the fact that uh she does such a good job early in the book establishing the characters and their relationship you know it's it's really hard to understand why any characters in any book or movie fall in love. You know, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, well, they're in love now, you know, because, I mean, that's how it works. But here, I mean, they really earned that. And and I think that yeah. that was, was really cool. Um, the only pr- problem that I had with it really was the ending. I, I think that, that that was kind of uh, weak, although I wonder... You know, especially since you're talking about like the the book ending with Nash and everything, like is this designed to be like part of a series? Yeah, that's what I was wondering to... too, because it felt like because, it was yeah, a little open ended. Question. Yeah, very open ended. I mean, not just with with you know, like oh boy, the Empire—they're not done yet, but also like their relationship. You know, like well, it's. You know, I mean, because like as they were ending it, I'm like, okay, this is going to end in this way. I don't, I guess we're not spoiling stuff. I don't know. Are we spoiling stuff? Oh, you can spoil no. the crap out of this. Spoil the crap out of it? Okay, I thought sure, like, yeah. well, they're going to die. You know, they're both going to die and that's how it ends. But then it's like, well, you know, no, you're imprisoned and I'm uh, outside here and, you know, I guess we'll see how this plays out, but you know, there's a good chance that you're not going to be in prison, so that's cool. Right, so we might be together, and we might not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, well, uh, you know, <laughs> always leave the audience wanting more, right? I, I, I mean, I, I, to me, like it had to end one of two ways. It either had to end with them both dying or them both being completely separated but for it to end with them literally being in the same room just on other sides of a force field that didn't work for me. well this is what i was wondering will we be introduced to a character in the force awakens that will go aha that is the child of these two because there'll be that name or something like that that (laughs) connects to the force i don't think so i doubt it no but i i could honestly see Somewhere and and being a side minor right. character, somebody like a Thane Maybe. or a Sienna, or obviously Nash could be a part of the you know a minor character 
with the first order. So I, I think that's a really cool thing. That's what I was um, wondering. I thought maybe Nash yeah. might show up, you know. I think it ends a little bit open-endedly because it does kind of leave that mystery. You know, I, I think what was really fun about the love stories, I think we anybody who's of a certain age, even if you're younger, you've probably had that moment where that person that you've known for a long time, you just all of a sudden see them in another light and they're you know it's like the most glorious moment ever it's it's like all of a sudden they start wearing the halo and they glow in a way that you just and i love that the way that she does that in the story where these two characters have that moment they've grown up together and all of a sudden something snaps inside where they're like whoa this this person is awesome you know and i don't know why I never saw that before like and not just awesome because they're like friends but you know there's that that whole part of growing up that she really nailed here but there's this other side to it as we've talked about they have this love that can never really truly be because love isn't enough it just isn't in this world you have to have the same values for a real relationship to to work uh, if you don't have the same values uh, and the same things to live for, you're not going to be able to sustain a relationship. And this book really plays that out because Thane and Sienna never have the same drive in their life completely when they finally are falling in love. And that's a really interesting thing, I think, to honestly teach kids. Love's not enough. You got to have other things too because love doesn't conquer all and it doesn't here in this story. And what I love is it it really goes to that wonderful quote from Shakespeare, the fault is not in our stars, but in ourselves. And the fault lies in these two characters not being able to see eye to eye on what they deem as truly important in life and, and what they're willing to live for and die for. And I think that's, a, that's so fascinating that... This young adult book is talking about this really huge issue. Yeah, I, well, I, th- I think that also in terms of their value systems just being just a touch out of alignment, the most interesting aspect, is, as we talked about before, is she. you would expect her character to be the one to see the truth and leave the Empire and say they are, they're dishonorable, I can't stay with them. And it's Thane is the one who comes from the troubled background that you would expect to stick with it and say, well, everybody sucks and I'm just going to stay with it because who cares? Like, but the cynic is the one who sees the light and the, the one raised with this sort of like, uh, you know, almost Klingon sense of honor really like is the one that sticks. Well, I guess maybe it makes sense, but you know, but uh, you know, yeah, I think that this is the sort of thing where I would rather my daughters read this kind of love story than the Twilight kind of love story, which I did subject myself to. I did read all four of those books because oh, I was God. challenged. Yeah, I was I challenged too, so two. I did. How did you do it? That that Lots series of, of books, that young adult series of books, portrays love as this needy, codependent, like just awful thing to behold, to be honest with you. Whereas this book shows two people who are fully realized and possess, you know, a, like intellectual and emotional faculty on their own and like you said matt finding out that yeah you can be in love yeah you can be massively attracted to somebody but 
you have to consider all the aspects of your life in order for it to work. Yeah. I, 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 again, young adult, this book is not. I mean, it, it might be in the young adult section, but what's being dealt with here is anything but young adult, uh, which I think is perfect for any of the young adults reading it. And heck, even the adults reading it. I, I got a ton out of reading this book. The, the themes that's going, that are going on uh, are just really fascinating to me. And I, I can't recommend that uh, you pick this up more highly. So I'm just going to say that now. We'll go on with some other things. Well, I but just... Can I, I just add talk- one thing to that? It's a shame, though, that when there's young adult novels, we put it in that category of, well, I don't really need to read that. I'm an adult. That That's for younger people. But Rebels is for even younger children than young adults. Clone Wars, same thing. And even George Lucas, when he made the Star Wars movie, says, you know, these, these movies are, are made for 9 and 10-year-olds. But we we don't shy away from those. But when it's in print... There's these categories of this is for the adults, this is for the young adults, this is for the kids. And I actually think Star Wars works better in a young adult and kids literature medium more so than the adult medium, in my opinion. That's well, a great that's, point. I mean, like when when you know I was going on this this journey, you know, <laughs> on Force Friday, finding out what young adult meant because I'm like, really, what does it mean? And you know, Drew is trying to explain this to me on Twitter. I'm like, so basically, it's basically a made up thing. You know, it doesn't. I don't understand what that. You know, I'm like, how is if this is what it, if this is the definition of young adult? Then Star Wars is young adult. So why are you making this? Yeah. You know, this uh, distinction. And, you know, so, I I mean, that's, and that's why I decided to read it was because, like, you're saying Star Wars is young adult, you know? And uh, I I don't, I mean, I guess it's just a marketing thing. I mean, that's got to be what it is, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's a marketing thing. I mean, having worked at a bookstore for three years, you know, it's definitely a way to entice kids to read um, by giving them material that's aims solely at them but i mean the same thing would be said you know harry potter is a young reader's book but it's for everyone you know uh it it doesn't it doesn't you know obviously uh the hunger games it's a young reader's book but everybody's read it and everybody likes it because it's it's just a good story and and so good story transcends all you know generations it doesn't really matter but i think you're right on bruce Look, Star Wars has always been for young people, the young at heart, and it's when we take it too seriously that people start to not like it, I think, uh, and then yeah. they get upset because it doesn't fit within their adult parameters, and it's too kitty, you know, like, I don't like Jar Jar because he's just a dork. Well, you know what, but if you saw it as a kid, all the kids like Jar Jar, so it, it, it it's it's for them, and when you can't put yourself back in that young at heart phase to see a Star Wars movie, you're definitely losing something. And this story captures, I think, the beauty of both. Like, it's young adult, but at the same time, the themes are resonating way beyond that age. I mean, the the problem is that, like, there is, I mean, you know, like, I agree with what Bruce is saying, that it makes sense, you know, that they, they would be, it would be accessible to kids and everything like that. But Certainly they have set up certain levels and it's like, I mean, like I literally, I do this every time I see it, I'll be in a grocery store and there'll be like a, a sticker book and I'll be like, well, this is Canon, 
You know, they've said flat out, this is canon. Am I supposed to read this? Can someone tell me? You know, and I mean, it's like, where do you draw the line? And I thought I could draw the line at where they were like, well, this is young adult. It is almost like they're saying, this doesn't really count, you know, but you can't. So now where do you draw the line? And I can't figure that out. I guess you draw You're it. buying the sticker book. I, I'm buying well, the sticker book. And see, that's yeah. the problem is I can't make any rational decisions of my own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a completist, so I have My, to buy these freaking sticker books. You realize that there is some room in Disney that monitors all broadcasts about Star Wars, and they just heard you say that, and they're like, excellent, oh, increased targeting in the Chicago area now. I, I am t- fully aware of that, and they are too. They have their hooks in me so, so bad. It's ridiculous. I mean, oh yeah, I've given so much money to Disney over the years, it's not even funny. They're just like the Empire. I was just going to say, they're the yeah. evil Empire. And I'm just like Sienna. I can't think for myself. I'm just following whatever they say. You're very this is loyal. canon? Oh, I better read it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so what if all the uh, other books suck? I'm still going to read this one. Oh, yeah. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to Star Wars in our own way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. goodness. Well, okay, so this book... Uh, Atop of the characters, the Imperial point of view, it really set some things about canon about the Imperial life and just life in general during this this rebellion period and even before that in that kind of rebel period, but from the viewpoint of the Empire. So I wanted to talk to you guys about some of the things that we found out in this story about how the Empire frames, you know, the Clone Wars, how people view the Jedi and the Force. Um, obviously, we, we do get the answers about how there's a Star Destroyer on Jakku, um, the view of the of Vader and Palpatine, even by the Imperials, what they think of them, um, the way the, you know, the rebellion works in contrast to the empire was a really interesting thing i mean there's so many things that this adds to the canon you know john and i said it with those other three young adult books but this is how you add to canon so what were some of your favorite things or what are some of the things you learned that you were like oh that's awesome i think it was maybe sienna's father mentioned that the empire is the old republic and I sometimes forget about the fact that, you know, the old Republic turned into the empire and I don't feel like that's really focused on a lot. And so the galaxy, the, the people who are, are living on these planets are just looking at this and saying, you know, what the Republic was, was infested by these Jedi. And we're told that these Jedi were the ones who were, corrupting the government and were causing issues and pushing their religious views of, of the force onto it. And they're gone. And, and because of that, we've reformed the Republic into the empire and things are going to be so much better now. And there's going to be so much unity and we're not going to be in that war that we were for three years called the clone wars anymore. The empire ended that and they are so good and they are so wonderful. And this is going to be a a great time in our lives. And that just, I've, I've always known that, but just to read that in a story really just, just, just hit me with the, the view of the people living in this galaxy of how the empire may be good 
but as we go through the story, we start they start realizing as people uh, are turned into slaves and industry is is in hurting their environments. Some people are sheltered from seeing that in the empire, but in these planets, things aren't doing well at all. I think in addition to seeing the Jakku thing, which it took me by surprise, honestly, because I thought that that was going to be in that video game. But um, and I guess it still will be. It'll be interesting to see if it contradicts. Um, in addition to that, I guess um, the thing that the thing that I, I really liked about it was nothing sp- specific. It was more on the whole how it showed these events f- from a perspective which was different from the way that we tend to to view them. You know, I mean, I I don't know if it's the same for you guys. I'm assuming it is. But, you know, as someone who has grown up watching these movies since I was two years old, I have no way of looking at them with any sort of um, objectivity. You know what I mean? There's like, it's, it's, I, 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 it's just a thing that exists, you know, and there's no separation. There's no sort of like, and and it really takes effort to sort of analyze and see like why the choices were made, like, like from a storytelling standpoint and, and, you know, what, what all of it means. And I think by looking at it through a different character's perspective, you kind of see these events as being um, what they, they are in universe, if that makes any sense, yeah, I think I I do. I, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, I I don't know that I could really add to uh, too much to to what you guys are saying, except that uh, you know I agree with you, Mike. The the Jakku thing was not only a surprise, but the way that it played out was really interesting. Like it, that was the first moment, uh, not the first, but. It is a standout moment for me in terms of hype for The Force Awakens. When they got there and I found out what the Battle of Jakku was and why I should care about the Star Destroyer crashed there when I see it on screen, that was an exciting moment to say, oh, wow, right. Oh, okay, wow. Like, it's so it's so weird to know that what I'm going into, I'm going to know what comes uh, essentially right be- I mean it's not right beforehand but essentially what leads to it and it it's such a different experience from actually I, I think they really tried this the first time with uh with the prequels with Labyrinth of Evil was supposed to be the book that led right up to Revenge of the Sith but then they also had the Tartakovsky series and they both ended differently and they were both supposed to be the lead into the movie whereas this is much more careful and as a result, like much more fulfilling in in my view, because I know that they're not going to contradict what comes at the end of this book. I'm sorry. Yeah. Can, can can I just add to the Jakku thing? Sure. Okay. I it, it was it was really kind of exciting to see that because you know the whole time that you're reading this book, it is following the events of the original trilogy, and you get to you know the end of the Battle of Endor, and you're like, okay, and then they just throw this like little cherry on top and you're like are they gonna and then there you know you see it coming from a mile away you know she's on the star destroyer and you're like oh i've seen that trailer they're gonna crash that thing and that's gonna be why that's there and you know this is the climax of this book and it's you know the the thing that everyone loves in that trailer when the millennium falcon flies up the and 
so it was it was really kind of exciting in a very fanboyish way, like you're saying, yeah. John, to to see it. And uh, yeah, I thought it was kind of a great way to sort of end this saga, you know, this story, this particular story. Um, I think it's kind of weird that in the story, and I mean, we'll see how this plays out elsewhere, that that Battle of Jakku is the one where they're like, okay, now the Empire is is taken care of. And it's like, really? It wasn't the Death Star blowing it? Whatever. But aside from that, I thought I thought it was pretty, it was pretty cool how they did that, really. What was so interesting about this, too, I, I love that the way the book kind of helps you see how the Empire frames the Clone Wars, that it was Windu going in and stopping a valid execution that starts the Clone Wars, so they're able to blame mm. the Jedi for everything and basically make them the traitors to the Republic so it's okay for the Republic to kind of turn into the Empire. You know, you make that switch for the safety and security of the... It's just so well done. I love that. Um to me, one of the most interesting things was the view of Palpatine and Vader to everybody else in the galaxy. It's a big question. Um, it has been how do people view Vader and, and then even Palpatine. There's a scene in the book where they talk about um, there being like a hollow of Palpatine where he's smiling down at people. And I was thinking, that is the creepiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard of is smiling Palpatine. And then I realized by the end of the book when she sees him get off on the Death Star because she's in one of those rows there. She sees the Emperor. I think Palpatine's been using his old hollows yeah. of himself. So nobody knows. But that I love that we finally got confirmation that the galaxy doesn't really know what he looks like. Like... Um, you know, obviously there's the big announcement in episode three, but after that, everybody else, I, I guess, expects he just got plastic surgery or something and looks back to normal um, because everybody else sees him as basically the, like, the happy grandpa that's keeping everybody safe. Wasn't it in this, was it this novel where they said that he, they, he's got people that stand in for him or? Yes. Okay. Decoys. Yeah, decoys. Like Keira Knightley, I think, sometimes steps in the yeah. upper. Yeah. She yeah. really does a great a, Palpatine. Like it's yeah. it's amazing. Keira Knightley actually I, did stand in yeah. for the Emperor. That's every that's once in a while Hillary Clinton too, but you know, <laughs> she's harder to get. Well no, I um, you know, it I think that you know, that speaks so long as we've talked about like the you know, portraying the Empire and everything, that I think really underscores the uh power of propaganda. That nobody did know what Palpatine looked like. And that's why, like, when they see him for the first time in person, it's like, uh, what just happened? Yeah. Well, and not only that, but the, the moment when she, Ray is involved with, and, and not Ray from The Force Awakens, but this Ray, Sienna Ray, she is involved with picking up, she's the person who rescues Vader after the Death Star. They, they take a ship, they go and rescue him. And which I liked because we finally answered the question, how does Darth Vader not end up in space just flying around for weeks with that smell like on Robot Chicken? We know happened, you know, <laughs> but that smells great, yeah. um, you know, but when he comes on the ship, he's radiating su this intense darkness that she literally he leaves the room and she falls on the floor with her back against the wall and is just like 
shaking because of the evil that she was in the presence of. And she has never felt like anything like that before until Palpatine gets off the shuttle on, you know, the Death Star. And she is so floored by the evil that's radiating from him. She is finally aware that what she's serving, and she's consciously choosing at this point to serve something she knows she shouldn't be, but she can't leave. And I thought that was a really, really powerful thing. And I think one of the reasons why Vader and Palpatine tend to stay out of the limelight with the rest of the Imperial Navy and and, and Army because there's something about them that might affect people in the wrong way, not not the right way. Give them reason to want to leave the Empire. Sure, yeah. Okay, we have done a little bit of this, uh, but I, th- I think it isn't inevitable that there would be some Imperial comparisons. Uh, Lost Stars, you know, it, it didn't get the press, obviously, uh, that Aftermath did. All of these books, though, you know, if you went out on Force Friday, they were all available um, there in the big toy aisles. They, I, I saw them at Target. They had this book. They had Aftermath, the, the three other young adult novels, all there in a row right there at Target. But interestingly enough, I think if I've looked, I've looked on Amazon and Goodreads, the, what I've gotten here and from my research is that you know aftermath on amazon right now has an average rating of 2.5 stars whereas on amazon lost stars has an average rating of 5 pretty much do you guys do you think that that's uh do you think that's accurate do you, would you would you say this book is is that much better than aftermath was i mean i don't think that aftermath is is that bad i mean i think it's it's definitely one of the weaker of the the novels in the new canon and i definitely think that lost stars is the the best novel in the new canon but um i mean you know certainly certainly part of that is just sort of like the statistical significance or whatever you know i mean like if you look at like uh reviews on on uh, uh imdb you know the movies with the lower ratings tend to have like the higher you know but I mean, certainly, I think yes, people are liking Lost Stars better than than Aftermath, and uh, I, I I think that Aftermath. I, I mean, I Aftermath is is decent, but this is, yeah, way better. Sure. <laughs> well, the ratings on Amazon uh, kind of line up exactly with mine, so I will say spot on mob mentality. <laughs> you have. Scored a victory this time. Uh, but I think that also uh, Aftermath has many more reviews than Lost, Star do- Lost Stars does. And I think that that's really the shame with classifying this as young adult is that I think that fewer eyes are going to come on it. I think that if there were as many people reading uh, Lost Stars as we're reading Aftermath, the average goes down. And I also think that Aftermath... Um, uh, to go back to something we talked about before, Bruce, was the focus of some very specific hate campaigning. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not exonerating it. I I didn't think it was fantastic by any stretch, but uh, like I I do think that that dragged the the uh, the average down. We know that there were people specifically who haven't even read Aftermath that were going in to nail it on the reviews just to mess with it. 
And I think that Lost Stars escapes that, you know, is able to sort of like skirt around uh, that sort of uh, vitriol as a result. Well, there were high expectations for Aftermath. When we were leading up to the release of this, I would hear many people say, oh, I can't wait to read Aftermath. Oh, it's so great. I never heard a single person mention Lost Stars. I mean, I couldn't even... I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you the title of that young adult novel because my focus was on Aftermath. So you're going with high expectations and then the book comes out and, you know, it didn't meet up to the level of the expectations, the wait for it. I also know that since it's going to be a trilogy, it's like the first chapter of a three book series. So it still has the meat to get to it where this is more a self-contained novel, low, no one really had any expectations for it, and it's a surprise. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, hey, this is actually a good book. But I I agree, John. I'm the same way. I, I, I wouldn't give Aftermath two and a half. On the last show, it was three is what I'd give it. But um, yeah, five up there for Lost Stars. And I'm sorry, just the, the other thing about Aftermath, I think, is that a lot of people – we're expecting it to be something that it's not, and they're blaming it for that. And I think that that's kind of unfair. And, uh, you know, that's probably dragging down the rating as well. I, I And, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Mike. I think a lot of people going in didn't know that Aftermath wasn't going to be the heir apparent to heir to the Empire. You know, the, the, the same type of story. But I, I will say this is that I think Lost Stars and I think Weapon of the Jedi and Moving Target and Smuggler's Run all prove that amazing stories can be done to add to canon. And Aftermath just isn't that. It, it just doesn't strike the chord that it needs to, even with the type of story it's telling. And Lost Stars nails everything it's trying to do it actually gives me more excitement for The Force Awakens than anything that really happened in Aftermath because it directly linked with it in a way that was just, yeah, it was blatant, but it was awesome, you know, that I know exactly where that Star Destroyer came from now. And it, it added to my knowledge of that movie and the possibility that these characters, there could be some reference to them or they could, a couple of them could actually be in The Force Awakens. Whereas in Aftermath, I did get the feeling at all that anyone but maybe Wedge, which I don't think he is, could be in, in The Force Awakens. Uh, except for maybe this mysterious admiral at the very, very no, end No, Wedge is in everything so it, now. He's, he's popping up all yeah. over the place. Every book you pick sure, up, there's he's Wedge. In, he's, let me just say this. Wedge is in this book. And he gets more screen time and more to do than he does in Aftermath, where he's a big part of the blurb as if, like, this is a Wedge book. This book is more of a Wedge <laughs> right. book. That's true. That's true. For you guys, any final thoughts? And what would you rate Lost Stars? And we'll do out of five. You can do half stars, quarter stars, but try to keep that so people kind of know where we're coming well, from. Well, I already said five stars just a moment ago, but actually I'll say uh, five flags of loyalty. Uh <laughs> I, it was it, it I, I wasn't expecting uh, this book to be that good. And if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, whether look looking forward to the new movie or not, I highly recommend it. And especially if you like 
trashy romance teen novels, this would meet that expectation too, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, I spoiled it already as well. Uh, five stars. Uh, loved it from cover to cover. And uh, so, I, you know, if I had any final thoughts on it, it would be that anybody that asks me what book they should read, like if they're only going to choose one before Force Awakens, this would be the one I'd recommend. Yeah, I, I would give it uh, probably four stars. I, I think that it's easily the the best novel from the the new continuity, uh, and I would definitely recommend it to anyone who asked. I don't think, uh, oh gosh, you're. It is really hard for me because this book really is pushing the limit of is this better than Dark Disciple? I don't know if it is, but I definitely think that it's on that level. Spoilers, it is, and and. No, it's not. Um, but but what I'm saying is is these books are are so similar in in what they do for the canon, and you know when the books are canon, I want to feel like I'm rewarded for reading them, that they're an event, that I'm going to learn something that I didn't know before, and it's going to feel important. Dark Disciple does that, Lost Stars does that, and it does it a lot. So. Heck yeah, this is a five-star book for the new Star Wars canon. And I'm with you, John. If you only read one book before you go see Star Wars The Force Awakens, it needs to be Lost Stars. Because it, it it's not just for fans. It's for anyone who kind of likes Star Wars. You know, this is for the teenage girl who does kind of only like, you know, Twilight romance novels. This is for the the young teenage boy who who likes action and adventure. You know, this is for the adult who kind of likes Star Wars, but eh, you know they've never really read to start. This is a great novel to get them into. I mean, it it's it's it might be young adult, but it's really for everyone because it's really Star Wars. Like it's fully embraced what it means to be Star Wars, which is. It's accessible to to young and old, and I love that about this book. And I I can't give Claudia Gray more props than we already have in this episode, but she's done a phenomenal job. And I didn't think anybody could do it, but yeah, she's put herself right up there with Dark Disciple, and that's amazing. Guys, I love it when we get to sit around and discuss things like this on this show. And I really do hope that this will be one of those shows that a lot of people will listen to and want to go read the book afterwards. I really want this to be something that furthers the sales of this book because I think it's worth it, you know. Um, And I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about it and sing its praises and that it was worth us singing its praises. and uh, I'm I beyond ecstatic that y'all joined me for this. Don't forget, you can find all of our shows at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We're all over Apple. Don't forget while you're there, hit the subscribe button and also give us the star rating and review so you can be entered to win the gift card there. And, of course, a chance to appear on a supplemental episode of the 602 Club. And, of course, if you're not on Apple, we have you covered as well. You can find the shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website at trek.fm. And you can also grab the RSS link as well. I would love to thank Ken Tripp for being the associate producer here for the 602 Club on the show through Patreon. Now, 
Patreon is the way that you can be a part of the network and help keep all the shows coming to you that we do here. It is an expensive thing. We have bandwidth costs. We have storage costs online. There are many costs with running a network the size of Trek FM, and we're a listener-supported network. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team and help bring all of this great content to you, over 20 different shows and the special feeds we have for you. We need your help, so we hope you'll join us. See that again at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Bruce, please let everybody know where they can find you before we let you go. I mean, you've got a new podcast yourself going on. Uh, so where are you online? And tell everybody about your new podcast. You can find me on Cloud City Casino. We're a weekly podcast about gaming and collecting in the Star Wars universe. It's an official podcast of StarWarsReport.com. And I also write for the site. Uh, in this past episode of uh, Cloud City Casino, we had uh, Sarah and Rich from Skywalking Through Neverland on to talk about Disney Infinity. So that was our last, uh, our most recent episode, episode 16. So check that out. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at Admiral underscore Rex. Mike, uh, I know that you have some places online that people can find you, and of course, uh, some wonderful five-star podcasts where people can find you as well. Three and a half-star podcasts. One is right here on Trek FM. It's called Commentary Trek Stars. I do it. Five stars. With this guy named John, who's a pain in the ass, but I put up with him. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about some Psycho this month. It's October, right? It's horror. Yeah. scary. Shocktober. Let's talk about some Psycho. So that's what we're going to be doing coming up in the next month. And uh, you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing Commentary Trackstar Babies. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. Now, John, um, well, I guess uh, Mike stole your thunder talking about one of your five-star podcasts. But I know you have another to tell everybody about. And, of course, where else you're online. Yeah, uh, I'm also on a, uh, a podcast called Words with Nerds uh, with my buddy Craig, uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, etc. And uh, you can find me online most easily on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Well, everyone, I think at this point you do know where you can find me, but in case you don't, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, I do that Instagrammy thing where you take pictures of food and stuff. Uh, if you care about that, you can find me at MRushing. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And I also do Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, interview the authors. It's a blast. Definitely check that out. And I have my own personal blog as well at 42alifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you.